Well, heading into 2022, it seemed very clear it would be a very important year on the path to reconciliation in this country, coming out of the discovery of the unmarked graves of 215 Indigenous children in Kamloops uh, earlier in 2021, other grave sites elsewhere as well that year, and the establishment of the first National Day for Truth and Reconciliation. It felt like there would be momentum in 2022, and if there were not, there would be questions as to why that wasn't happening. There was, of course, a historic moment in the path to reconciliation. More than 25 years after the last residential school closed in this country, Pope Francis issued an apology saying he was sorry for the grave and lasting harm caused by some clergy members who had operated the church and state-sponsored residential school system. Uh, This happened in Rome in front of a live-streamed audience with more than 190 Indigenous survivors, elders, knowledge keepers, youth, and leaders. The Pope said he was deeply grieved. Here's what he had to say. I ask for God's forgiveness, and I want to say to you with all my heart, I am very sorry. And I join my brothers, the Canadian bishops, in asking your pardon. Of course, that would be followed a few months later by a long-awaited visit to Canada, where an apology was made on the lands where the horrors of the residential school systems uh, were felt, and it brought deeper meeting, or at least that's what was expected. Pope Francis made a six-day so-called pilgrimage of penance in late July, stopping in Alberta, Quebec, and Nunavut. Here is his apology in Alberta. Y decirles de todo corazón que estoy profundamente dolido. I am sorry. I ask forgiveness. I ask forgiveness in particular for the ways in which many members of the church and of religious communities cooperated, not least through their indifference in projects of cultural destruction and forced assimilation promoted by the governments of that time, which culminated in the system of residential schools. Pope Francis speaking in Alberta earlier this year. It was a historic moment, of course, but for many residential school survivors, it was not the end of the beginning, or it was the end of the beginning, not the beginning of the end when it came to this process. Is it just going to be lift service for people to hear? Him being here in Canada now, I'm hoping that there is some justice done besides the apology. Freelance journalist and author of Our Voice of Fire, Brandy Morin, was in Rome early in early April reporting and documenting the delegation of First Nation, Métis and Inuit uh, residential school survivors when those first words were spoken that we played a little earlier. And uh, the Mura Award-winning journalist, French Cree Iroquois journalist from Treaty 6 in Alberta joins me now. Brandy, thank you so much. Welcome back. Tansé, good to, good to talk with you again. Thank you for having me. I was just reading your report that you wrote about being in Rome um, when unexpectedly, I guess, the Pope issued that first apology. Uh, Take me back to then. How important a moment do you think it was now in hindsight? Mm, You know, it was quite a whirlwind of a week to begin with. I mean, it was um, historic. It was um, incredibly um, heavy. Um, you know, there was all sorts of different waves of emotions for everybody that was experiencing it. So um, I was watching from the press, the press room um, 
of the Vatican uh, when he was giving the apology. And I was I was pretty stunned when I heard it. I mean, you know, there was always the thought of the chance that it might happen. But the survivors and the delegates that I spoke to, you know, didn't think that it was going to happen there. They had invited the Pope to come to indigenous territories in Canada to, you know, give the apology there. So, um, you know, it was quite, you know, quite a shock. And I ran out from that um, that press room uh, to St. Peter's Square. There was a media scrum and um, followed by, you know, powwow dancers and singers and drummers and, you know, celebrate celebration of that um you know that really uh you know circular uh, kind of moment so <clears throat> it was really something to be you know to be witness to you know to document absolutely yeah and you also mentioned um i mean i've been to st peter's square it's it's hard to imagine it's it, it's often quite a somber place in many ways it, it would be it's hard to imagine a celebration but clearly it was and it's but you also spoke about feeling the weight of history too there, the weight of your family, yeah. those who had lived through the survivor, survive the residential school system. Absolutely. I mean, from, you know, I had prepared for it for, you know, many months. I have been telling the stories of residential school survivors for many years. My Kukum, which is my grandmother, was a survivor. We have felt, you know, those uh, generational Im- impacts. And so when I stepped off the plane, I really felt, you know this um you know this this overwhelming responsibility and and a heaviness and like i said the whole week was kind of like a storm i felt like i was carrying not only the stories of the survivors but the stories of generations you know and even of my own generations and so on that day when the pope apologized it had been raining for a few days straight and when he made that apology, the skies literally parted in um, St. Peter's Square. And, um, you know, the sun was shining down, you know, upon the survivors and the delegates. So it was a really, you know, symbolic, um, you know, powerful, powerful experience. And then he he came here as had been hoped for. He arrived here on that uh, journey of penance. What did you make of that after what had happened in Rome? Um, how important was it and how was it received? Uh, in high, ultimately, how was it received? Yeah, so, um, you know, from survivors' perspectives, you know, th- those that were uh, open to um, receiving that apology, because not everybody is, um, you know, at, they're all at different various, you know, stages of, you know, maneuvering through this um so-called reconciliation process, but those, you know, uh, that were in support said that the, you know, the apology would not, you know, be solidified until it was made here on Indigenous territories. And there was questions about whether the Pope would be able to make it because his health was failing, but he did make it. And, you know, I I covered um, the Papal Apology Tour from Alberta to Quebec to Iqaluit, and it was another roller coaster ride. And um, I witnessed, for for instance, in Musquechise when we were pulling up in the media buses, I was looking out uh, towards the 
um, the, the powwow arbor grounds where the Pope would be um, giving the apology. And, and there was just droves of people, you know, walking there. And it was, it was just a really, um, just really emotional um, and powerful. And, and the Pope went to the cemetery there and he, he went to a former residential school site and he stopped and he, you know, contemplated and he prayed. And then, you know, they, he went to Lac St. Anne, um, which is a Catholic mission, and it's it's known as a pilgrimage that many Indigenous pe- peoples travel to, including my own ancestors. And so to see him there um, was also, you know, um, really incredible. And then following to Quebec and following to Iqaluit, you know, seeing this all the way through, um with all the ups and downs and all of the different emotions of it all. But it was really powerful for me when uh, it was wrapping up in a Iqaluit. Uh, the Pope was, you know, on a stage outdoors there, and he said his apology in a nuktuk, which is, you know, the, the language there. Mm-hmm. And it was powerful because that is the language that was taken. And for him, you know, to give that back, um, it was it was really something and listening to survivors react to it too, I, I often heard that uh, again that this was not the beginning of the end. It was really the end of the beginning. It, the apology was a great first step, but a first step only. Absolutely, um, you know what people are asking for, what survivors, what you know, families and indigenous leaders are asking for is, you know, that apology to be. Uh, you know, follow up with action, various actions like, you know, <laughs> providing compensation that the Catholic Church has owed survivors for many years now. We're talking in the multi-millions, um, you know, returning, um, you know, looted artifacts that they're holding, you know, at the Vatican, at, at the Vatican, releasing residential school records, um, you know, that, you know, that are still, you know, being um, vaulted in order to protect different, um, you know, perpetrators. So these are just some of the things, and 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 to also see, you know, what what the church is, you know, going to, you know, how it's going to act, you know, going forward. And a big thing of this too, a big ask was uh, the rescinding of the doctrine of discovery, which was, you know, put in put in place to, um, you know, to uh, make it. Uh, legitimate for for european colonizers to um pillage you know indigenous lands and 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 people time and time again our indigenous women and brothers and sisters have to come here and we have to shout and we have to raise our voices begging for change and begging for justice for our people and that is wrong and that was Cambria Harris. Her mom, Morgan, is believed to have been the victim of an alleged Winnipeg-area serial killer. Uh, Cambria and her sister were in Ottawa recently calling on the federal government to do more to better support missing and murdered Indigenous women, girls, and two-spirit people, as well as to do more to protect women from harm. Brandy Morin, a Murrow Award-winning French Cree Iroquois journalist from Treaty 6 in Alberta and author, is with us this half hour. Um, this one is developed recently, uh, but I, I can just say, you, you can't, I, I can't begin to imagine the anger that must exist over this particular case and how it's unfolded. Oh, my goodness. You know, I had just come from being on the road for two weeks straight with a German documentary uh, crew 
making, you know, a, a documentary about missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. I had been in Winnipeg, Alberta, as well as BC. And, um, you know, I, I had met with uh, one of the murdered women's cousins, Morgan Harris, which whose uh, whose daughter you just heard speaking, Cambria. I had met uh, her cousin, uh, Kirsten, while on a bear patrol, um, you know, walk, and she was telling me about how her her cousin was missing and this and that. And so, you know, when I heard the news that four Indigenous women were taken out by you know this you know this um the serial killer i mean it was uh it was i was enraged because this is a crisis this is a genocide right that is spiraling out of control you know i report on it i see the numbers and we've had this you know, national inquiry, you know, this final report that has been out since 2019 and little to no action has been done about it. And then we have this situation where four women were, four Indigenous women were targeted within a three-month period. And then we have the authorities, such as the Winnipeg Police Service, saying that they aren't going to look for the remains of, of uh, you know, some of those women. And, um, you know, we, we've seen the uproar, I think, uh, from the families and across the nation. Um, they took it all the way to Ottawa. Yeah, that, that's one of the things that I, I noticed just of late. You know, we, it's true that of all those many, you know, I think it's 231 calls to action in that report on missing uh, Indigenous women and girls, uh, missing and murdered Indigenous women and girls. But the idea that there was a lot of fight back here has to be has to be um, motivating in some way. I mean, there was a real outpouring of, there was outrage when this came mm. out and, and that that felt different. I mean, yeah. I mean, I just think that our people, you know, have had enough and it's really come to this boiling point where, you know, our people are, um, you know, asking for the resources and, uh, you know, the governments of all different levels as well as, you know, the judicial systems, the policing systems to, you know, take take action. But I think <clears throat> from what I've been seeing, a lot of the advocates and the families and the survivors are doing that work themselves and they're, you know, doing whatever it takes and they're they're rallying and they're angry. They you know, they they said they're tired of being nice about it. There are lives on the line and you know enough is enough and so they you know they're just uh standing up to this um you know to this oppression to this injustice and and all of this you know indifference because when you think about it it's a literal genocide it was named a genocide by the inquiry and it's happening right before you know all of our eyes all that, when you look at that, and we look back at the year, as I, as I said in the introduction, 2022 felt like a very important year for reconciliation, given all that had happened in 2021. Do you feel like it, we took a step in the right direction, or are you not quite sure yet? <laughs> you know, um, you know, I've been told, you know, by elders that reconciliation isn't something that's going to happen overnight. This is something that is going to take literal generations uh, you know, to unfold. But I can tell you that, you know, in my career, you know, in my, my 12-year career and my 10-year career in doing Indigenous stories, I have seen 
the shift starting to happen. And there are these little pockets of little, you know, rumbling, such as, you know, the apology and, and, and different things like that, where our, the, you, we get a taste of what reconciliation could look like, um, but we still have a long way to go. Brandy Morin, thank you so much for taking part in our year in review. Thank you again. Oh, hi, hi, Ben. Thank you so much. Take care.